how I built an eight-figure business before I was 30 and how you can too. If you've got time, make sure that you get a pen and paper and you take some notes because there's going to be some real valuable stuff here that I think you're going to be able to take away and learn from. You've got to know about the industry. Now, why is that important? Because working in an industry, you will learn the mechanics of the business, um, networks within that sector. You'll learn the pricing. You'll learn the products. You'll learn the customer types and why they buy and why they don't buy. You'll learn how the service gets delivered. And these elements are very important because you're not just in sales when you're in a business. You actually have to operate the whole operation. And so I started in plumbing and heating when I was 15 years of age. I was expelled from school when I was 14 and a half. And construction was an opportunity for me to be able to get into work. You know, how amazing was that for me at that time? Because I didn't have any other prospects going for me. And um, I was lucky enough that I was able to enter into a very, very exciting sector. Construction served me so well. I love the sector. I'm very passionate about the sector. And I must say, if you're a youngster watching this and you're in your teens and you're looking for a great career, you must enter into construction. You know, and plumbing and heating electrics, these are the top trades, they're the ones you're going to make the most money, um, in my opinion, employed also, as in um, starting your own businesses, they're the most profitable in most cases. But plumbing and heating, electrics, all trades are fantastic, but you choose the one that suits you well. So I went to work for a number of years before I started my own company, somewhere in the region of about seven. I was in it from 15 to 22 before I started my first business. And as I said, I got a wealth of industry knowledge. I worked for about seven or eight businesses over those seven years from small one-man bands all the way up to national companies. So I was able to see how they worked, how they operated, how things changed, systems, processes, procedures. I worked in industrial, I worked in commercial, I worked in domestic, new build, social housing. So I had a, a whole a whole um, wealth of knowledge across the sector, which really stood me in good stead to be able to start my own business. Because most people don't start their own business because they don't have confidence in being able to run the company or to be able to deliver the service. And I did because of the years of experience that I built up at an early age of 22. You know, remember, getting in early is what successful people do because. We're always playing a time game. So the faster you can learn and the quicker you can get up to speed, the more profitable it's going to be for you in the long run. Number two, I became frustrated at the age of 22. The lack of progression to the next level, the lack of opportunity that the company that I was working for was providing. I'd hit my cap of earnings and I wanted to make more. I know many of you listening will ever have been on that journey or you're experiencing that right now. The only way is to either put up, shut up, or go and start your own company. And so I chose to go and start my own company. That really set me on the path to building this national company, was to actually become frustrated with where I was working. I don't like people that moan about businesses. 
If you don't like the company that you work for, go and start your own if you think it's that easy. Don't complain about it. That is one thing that you don't do because the people that provide a business for you to go and work in don't have to do that. This isn't school. They don't owe you anything, okay? Um, so you've got you've to really um, appreciate that job. And if you don't like it, you're flexible. You can go and do what you like. Point number three. And this is the most important one. Do something about it. If you know that you can do it better than your employer, if you believe that there is an opportunity that no one is tapping into, then do something about it. Because I didn't go to start my own business just to be another plumbing and heating company. I saw that there was a huge gap in the market for people to be able to take the service and sell it as a product, to package it in such a way that people bought the service as a product. And when it becomes a product, it becomes scalable. When it becomes a service, it's difficult to quantify because a service in most cases is reactive. So predicting the numbers is a challenge. When you tap into a product-based business, you're able to forecast sales because you're proactive within your marketing strategy. You're not reactive. And if you're working in a business that doesn't have a proactive marketing strategy, you're always going to be sitting and hoping to hit those revenue targets. You're not going to be in charge. So you've got to get in the driving seat. And I, from previous experience, had seen many of the companies that I'd worked for over the years in construction just say that, you know, when it came to summertime, they weren't busy anymore or that was our quiet time because of, you know, um, seasons. And to a level, it was true. But I also didn't accept the fact that there wasn't another opportunity or we couldn't do anything about it. And many of these businesses just accepted that. And I didn't accept it because I wanted to make money. So I decided to build a proactive strategy that was going to allow me to scale. But I did something about it. December 31st, 2011, I quit my £50,000 a year job to start a company. I had no idea how to run a business. I knew that there was a good chance that I may well fail. I didn't have a business plan. I just knew that I wanted to go for it. And sometimes you've just got to go for it. When the timing's right, you've just got to pull the trigger. And if you're watching this and you're in construction, or if you're watching this and you're interested to get into construction, where I grew up, they always said that getting a trade was something to fall back on. It was a job for life. When you become a plumber or a gas engineer, you're never going to be out of work, they would say. And they were absolutely right because, you know, uh, there's a huge skill shortage out there in the marketplace right now. And there's a massive demand for, um, you know, these services, these skills required. And I, and I took that and I said, well, they're absolutely right. So if I start a company and it fails, I can go straight back and get into my 50 grand a year job. So it, I had security there. So the risk wasn't that big in my opinion, but it was still a risk that a lot of people don't take because they want job security. Well, I knew that if it failed, I could easily just get back to a job. So I'd only be ever four weeks away from a big paycheck um, coming in. So I wasn't afraid. 
But one thing that I did have to do, and that leads me nicely onto point number four, was I had to go into debt to start my company. I didn't have the startup capital and I wasn't willing to wait and I wasn't willing to save. Why would I wait um, 12 months to save up the money when I can just go into debt, use that money to invest in the assets that I need to start the company and start turning over sales very, very quickly, which would be much more profitable than me waiting to earn that money through my income and saving it slowly. If you want to save your way to starting a business, you're not going to be that successful in business, in my opinion, because business is about taking risks and it's about leveraging the right debt. Okay, we're not going into debt because we, you know, want to buy a nice new car. We're going into debt because we want to build a business that's going to be a positive asset for us and start generating us cash flow and income and so on. But you've got to get into debt if you're afraid to borrow money to advance the growth of your business. I mean, I watch it all the time. We work with thousands of companies. And the ones that stay really, really small are the ones that don't go into debt to invest into the company because you can only generate so much as a small business. There's only so much profit you can make off one person's ability to sell and deliver the service. And you're going to be saving such a small amount year on year on year or month on month on month, year on year on year, that by the time you've saved up enough to invest in your company, so much could have changed in the business world, the market, that you're already going to be too late, you know, because most people are managed owned businesses that are working for the income. They're not a business that's making profit in its own right. They're earning the money. So it's too slow, right? It's really too slow. So you've got to go into debt. I've gone into debt many, many times as I've grown my businesses. And if I hadn't have gone into debt, then I wouldn't have been able to um, grow the companies because doing it directly from organic sales, unless you're a sales machine like I am, okay, then it's near on impossible to do because most people don't even know how to sell. Or you hear business owners that say, I don't like sales. I say, well, what are you doing in business? Because business is sales. But anyway... That's a story for another day. That's a podcast for another day. What I like about what I did next, and I think was a smart move, was I found my niche within the plumbing and heating sector. Offering general plumbing and heating services to anybody that picked up the phone to me was not going to allow me to scale successfully and I would end up being at the mercy of the marketplace, like many, many businesses out there in all sectors are. They just think that any customer is a good customer, and that's just not the case. I teach businesses now that you need to invest in marketing, but when I was 22, I didn't know about marketing. I've spent millions and millions and millions of pounds on marketing now at the age of 33. So I can sit here and tell a story about what I would have done, but I'm going to tell you what I actually did. And I think it was a smart move on my part, a very, very smart move. I knew that I didn't have the money to generate inquiries from Mrs. Smith. And even if I did have the money, I didn't have the know-how, I didn't have the knowledge to go to a domestic customer and generate them at volume. So I needed to win contracts that were going to provide me volumes of work without the cost of acquisition of that customer. And so I said, right, well, if I spend my time going door to door to Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Davis, and so on, 
I can only win one sale every time I transact on that sale. But if I go door to door to estate agents, the property management companies, if I'm able to bag a contract, I'm gonna get their whole portfolio. So I fancied my chances in the B2B world and that's where I started in construction. I went business to business. I didn't go business to consumer. You got B2C, business to consumer, and you've got B2B, which is business to business. Now, there are some positives around working B2C and there are some positives around working B2B. If I was in the construction sector now, okay, not as in a training business, but in a uh, business that operated, I would be working B2C. I wouldn't go B2C, B2B because the cash flow benefits in B2C are so much greater. But it does mean you need to have a much more robust sales and marketing strategy. So it's different horses for different courses. There are pros and cons to both models. And um, you know, it's a video for another day to go into more detail on that for sure. So I chose B2B. That was my niche. And what I did was I decided that I was going to go to estate agents and I was going to sell my services, but I was going to dress like an investment banker. So I took some of the money that I'd borrowed to get into debt. I took out £15,000 loan. I bought a £500 Ted Baker suit. It was the first suit that I'd ever owned. Okay, and I started my business because I really wanted to get into a suit. And that might sound silly nowadays, but one of the goals that I wanted to achieve was to wear a suit to work. Don't forget, I'd come from construction, okay, you're wearing overalls, you're wearing workwear, you're in dirty vans, you could be on building sites, you're in work boots. So you're usually coming home with black hands and you know, you're in dirty clothes. And I didn't want that. I wanted to look sharp, I wanted to feel good, I wanted to dress good, I wanted to people look at me and say, that guy's you know, smart, he's, on, he's, he's making moves. So I took some of that money and I invested into a suit. I bought a briefcase and I bought an umbrella with one of those bent wooden handles. And I did that because I knew that when they saw me, they would be so shocked that I was selling plumbing and heating services that I was gonna make an immediate impact and I knew they were going to be nervous about it or scared about it to start with because they wouldn't have seen it before, but I knew I was going to make impact. And one of my now friends and mentors, Charlie Mullins, founder of Pimlico Plumbers, he just spoke at my event in Marbella, um, said on a documentary that most plumbers turn up late, they wear dirty clothes, they got invoices all over their vans, you know, trousers hanging around their backsides. And so I thought, he's absolutely right. And I remember seeing these people and working with these people in the construction sector. So I said, the simplest way to get ahead is to do what the competition will not do. So what I did was I invested in that suit, I hit the high street, and I just walked into these estate agents, just pitching, 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 pitching. And at first, they were shocked to see me. They didn't quite understand how a man dressed like I was could be selling gas services. So I knew that I'd got them straight away. I knew that I'd made an impact. And now all I had to do was build trust and build confidence. Well, on the first go round, I must have knocked 50 high streets, 50 high street estate agents and got rejected from every single one of them. And I learned a very valuable lesson about persistence and never giving up because I went away and I said, I spent 500 pounds, I've been out for two days and I haven't got any contracts. I haven't won any contracts. How have I not been able to win at least one contract? And I was starting to panic. 
because I didn't have any work. I didn't know where the work was going to come from. I'd left a very good job. There are many people that said I was going to fail and that I wouldn't know how to do it and so on. So I had a point to prove to myself as well as those guys. And I waited 24 hours and I went back, had the same suit, didn't buy another one, changed my tie and um, I'll hit them again. Out of the 50, 48 of them told me, don't come back. We've told you already, we'll contact you. Please don't just keep walking in here. But two of them, blimey, you're back. We didn't actually think that you were ever gonna come back. We didn't know who you were. You were just turned up, you were dressed so smart, we couldn't believe it, we've never seen anything like it. But we needed you yesterday. And now that you're back, we're gonna give you a shot. And we've got 40 jobs waiting that we don't have anybody to complete. And I was like, wow. I said, I could start right away. I'm gonna go home, get changed, and I'll be, I'll be out in the van and I'll go do this thing. And so they sent me 40 jobs that afternoon. I stayed up till 1 a.m. going to people's houses. These poor people had been left for ages without heating, so they were fine with me coming in late. And then um, on the way home from that estate agents, before I went out to work, I went and visited one more. Again, same thing, wow, you're back. We can't believe you've come back. We needed you yesterday. And so they awarded me a contract. I ended up on that day winning two contracts of about 600 homes collectively that kick-started my business very quickly and blew up um, my company in the early days. I mean, I was getting 50, 60 jobs a day, working seven days a week, doing 100 hours a week in a van. Within seven days, I'd hired my first employee, okay, an apprentice. Within three weeks, I'd hired my first plumber. Within three months, I had my first office. Within six months, I had three plumbers. I had um, a office manager, and my business was booming. Because I was willing to work so hard, and I was just, I never let any landlord down, any tenant down, any estate agent down. I, I built up an incredible reputation in Cambridgeshire, and then all of these estate agents started to call me. I became the go-to guy that had all of the contracts in the estate agency. That was my niche, so leads me on nicely to number six, and I kind of covered it a little bit for you there. And this is so important when you're building your business is I wasn't afraid to hire people. Too many people start a company and think they're going to take, you know, a year or a couple of years until they've built up enough momentum to hire somebody. But I was like, well, I've got the work, so I need to go now. I need to hire people now. And I almost had my hand forced, which was the best lesson because I just went at it like a freight train with no fear and was just collecting these employees, building these teams. And I was being forced to because of the amount of work. So I had plenty of confidence because the work was there. And most people don't have the confidence to hire because they can't predict the sales. So you either need to win contracts that are gonna guarantee you the sales or you need to um, invest in marketing in a consistent market like boiler installations or solar installations that are gonna create a forecasted um, number of sales that you're gonna be able to scale your business into. Because if you haven't got consistency, if you haven't got lead gen, or if you haven't got guaranteed sales, 
you're not going to be confident in your business model to hire people organically from the sales and profits that you are creating. You've got to not be afraid to hire people. And I definitely wasn't afraid to hire people. You know, at the peak, I had 100 people working in my business across the country, and it was a huge organization. I was really proud of that business. I was really proud of what that business achieves and the jobs that we created. But I remember thinking when I was 28, 28, how on earth have, in six years have I built this company to a national business? I just remember thinking, you know, how was this even possible for me? A guy that was expelled from school at 14, that did, had no GCSEs. Granted, I'd done qualifications to get my plumbing and gas, but, you know, no academic qualifications, no business studies. And I'd built this massive, massive business um, you know, it was unheard of in the sector. You know, I got to a point where property management work, and this is the key, again, because this whole podcast you're listening to just to bring you back on track, is how I built a national plumbing and heating business in my 30s, or it's how I built an eight-figure business before my 30s. Sorry, how I built a national plumbing and heating business before I was 30, or how I built an eight-figure business before I was 30. And what I'm doing is I'm laying out the steps for you so you can understand the journey that I went on to show you that it's possible for you and that you can replicate it. Because I am a massive, massive believer that success leaves clues. A huge believer that success leaves clues. And... Um, uh, I want you to learn from my successes. I want you to learn from what I've done because now I've been there, done it and got the t-shirt, I know what works. So I hit probably one to two million turnover if we just rewind very slightly at 26, 27. And I was doing all maintenance. Now that had worked well up until that point, but it started to become an unbuyable business because of the small ticket jobs the high volume of jobs and the ambition and the growth that I was trying to achieve as a company. I wanted to go national, but you don't hear of many national maintenance and repair businesses. There isn't really any. The only ones that I know that make it work are people like British Gas or HomeServe that are able to build it on recurring revenue contracts, but they sell them at scale. You know, small businesses try and sell maintenance contracts, but they're just... Unless that business model is done at volume, it doesn't work. It's a game of 10,000 contracts, okay? 80% of them won't claim, 20% of them will claim, and the 20% claims, we want to hope that that doesn't cost us more than what the 80% that don't um, uh, pay, so we're able to actually make some profit. So it's all a numbers game. So people have 20, 30 contracts, it just doesn't really do much. So I knew that I needed to evolve the business model. Now, here's what people don't do, in my opinion, is they continue to try and scale something that capped out 100 grand or 500 grand or a million turnover ago. And they keep plowing on cost to deliver the same sales with no increased price or no improved margin. And their profits go like this and their overheads go like this. And that doesn't make for a successful business. And 
if you're scaling your overheads to build your organization, that's okay, as long as you can sell enough product at some point at the right margin to cover your cost and produce profit. If you're always going to have a much higher overhead than is viable for the amount of sales that you can deliver, and construction is very people heavy and process heavy and organization heavy, then you need to evolve models. So we went from selling 100 pound call outs to two and a half thousand pound boiler installations. And it was the transition that took me from two million to 10 million. And if I hadn't have evolved, I either would have um, bust out at that point or you know we would have just, well, I run out of cash or I would have just had to scale back and turn it into a smaller business that was profitable, maybe at half a million a year. So I chose to move forward. I chose to evolve the business model. And remember this, businesses that don't innovate or evolve are businesses that will die, especially ones that are trying to grow. You've always got to keep your finger on the pulse of how the markets are changing and how the markets are moving. Now, there's one of my favorite quotes, and hopefully they'll bring it up on this YouTube video, and that is um, from Netflix, and they have a, a meme that says, uh, we started in DVDs, keep going. And it just really goes to show that a business that becomes successful like Netflix, you know, continues to evolve. And they had a huge boom, and then there was that stuff in the news a year or so ago where their share prices were dropping, and then they introduced advertising, and then that kick-started the revenue. So they're always looking for ways to stay in business, because business really is a game of business really is a game of staying in business, because every business fails. Every business is going to go out of business at some point, and your job is to make it last as long as it possibly can, okay? To keep it alive for as long as you possibly can. That's the game, because the markets are going to change, okay? The way customers buy are going to change, uh, competitors will catch up, technology will wipe you out, you know, new ways of um, using the product or service will come to market. And so if you're not adapting, evolving, and keeping up with the latest trends, you're going to get left behind. So learn that. I think one thing that I've been good at, and I've probably only ever got wrong once, is being able to evolve and not being afraid to change, adapt um, with the markets. You know, um, Somebody told me that many, many years ago, and I've always listened. And as soon as I see something isn't getting me the results, the sales aren't where I need them to be, it's a non-scalable model, then I change very, very quickly. And you've got to too. You know, I'm in a new sector in a training business. In this training business, I'm literally creating opportunities and products um, frequently. And some have a long shelf life and others are just a one-hit wonder. But you know, when you've got a big overhead, you've got to keep creating one-hit wonders if you want to keep creating direct sales each month, or you've got to find those longer-term products that are going to allow you to um, stay in business. So I'm always looking for that mix of the one-hit wonders and also the big opportunities when it comes to um, the longer-term business models. We're just about to evolve one of our products into a three- to five-year contract program, and it's going to be phenomenal for the business. It's going to give us long-term revenues, predictable revenues, and it's going to create huge valuation for the organization. Next, once I'd evolved that business model, I raised finance. 
I got investment. I needed to take the business to the next level. I got investment. And I chose to get investment from uh, the one and only Lord Alan Sugar, billionaire. He became my business partner at the age of 25. And not only did I get investment, I got exposure, huge attention, okay, from millions and millions of people and hundreds of thousands of people in my sector. And I got mentorship. And I needed cash, I needed exposure, and I needed mentorship to grow because I'd hit my ceiling. So raising finance was about getting the investment, but there was also the mentorship and the attention wrapped up into one. So it was like a treble whammy for me. That was a treble whammy to push up to the next level. And you know, I urge each and every one of you to be in a position to raise finance because if you're always trying to do it off organic profits, you're wasting your time because it's so tough, you know, and you end up doing it a little bit, but because you're then burning through your cash, you start to get worried, so you don't give it the time it, it needs to get off the ground. So make sure that you have good funding partners, you have good relationships with investors, you have um, a nice um, relationship with your bank and anybody else that you can borrow money from. Because if you're going to scale, you're going to need it. Business costs money. Business costs money to grow. It costs money. Point number nine, I hired more people. I just want to stress that I never stopped hiring people. I never stopped investing in people. I wanted to continue to bring on more salespeople. At one point, I had a team of 40 salespeople, an army of salespeople churning out huge volumes of direct sales on a um, daily basis. You know, I remember when my first year in business, I did 200 grand, and by the time I was 29, I was doing 100,000 pound a day. Now, that was pretty impressive in the construction industry. This ain't online sales. Yeah, there might be some guys out there on online saying, 100,000 pound a day is not a lot. Online, I'm doing that at click of a few buttons. Trust me, when you're sending that out across the country, selling in people's homes, boilers, okay, they're not the most exciting thing on the planet. That is a hell of an achievement. Uh, I don't know any other company other than British Gas that have done it to that level. And, um, you know, they are a monstrous organization that have been going for 120 years. And Joseph Valente was able to get to that level in just a couple of short years. The final thing that I want to say, along that journey, I was never, ever afraid to fail. And many of you watching this are afraid to fail. And some of you are afraid to fail small. But if you're going to fail, fail big, okay? You may as well go out in a blaze of glory. And you got to shoot big. If you shoot small, you're going to win small. If you shoot big, you're going to win big. And sometimes it will pay off and sometimes it won't. But failure, okay, is a entrepreneur's best friend in the long term, in the long run. And what you want to do from this podcast is you want to replicate as much as you can the, of the success. You want to heed the lessons of failure. And I haven't touched on many, and I'll do that on another podcast, but I've failed a thousand times in business and got a lot wrong. And that's why I continue to thrive because I'm learning every day. I've got great mentors, great network. Um, I invest in coaching and business mentoring myself as well as selling it as a service because I believe that you have to practice what you preach and failure 
comes from a lack of preparation and a lack of knowledge in most cases. You don't fail because you choose to, but you fail because you've not done it before. You don't know what you don't know, and in a lot of cases, it's the first time that you've done it, and if you haven't got the knowledge or the network or the mentors, then you're not gonna be able to get very far. That's why there's that saying, if you don't wanna go far, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together and I'm a big believer in that. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this today. I've really enjoyed giving you some great value. I hope you've taken a lot from it. If you've got any questions, make sure that you comment them below on the channel that you're listening to this on. Drop us a DM, get in touch. If you want to grow your business, we now mentor all businesses, not just construction. Trade Mastermind supports construction. The Valente University supports all business, all sectors, Whether you're employed, self-employed, whether you're still at school, that's how we help support you and want to see you succeed. Thanks for listening. If you want to make P with JV, make sure you get in touch.